0: There it is, ladies and gentlemen. You ever have a family business or maybe you're just young, inexperienced, but you know you want to get into this field that, you know, the family's been running for a while? Well, if that sounds like you, then this episode is definitely one you're going to want to pay attention to. So let's jump into this one. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life, prestige, wealth, freedom, All right, today's guest is an expert in the field of character development for emerging leaders, offering invaluable insight on how to cultivate the essential qualities needed for transformational leadership. If you've ever struggled with the arrogance of youth or finding the right balance between business acumen and personal traits like humility, empathy, gratitude, and patience, then this episode is a must listen. So stay tuned as we dive into the keys for emerging leaders. And now let's welcome to the show, Mr. David Bento. All right, Dave, we're doing it, man. Welcome to the program.
1: Well, thank you very much. Uh, I just want to clarify for our audience. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. It's because I failed in all these things that you've talked about. <laughs> that's why That's why you're uh, from the School of Hard Knocks. So looking forward to chatting. Oh, man.
0: It's funny. I was literally having this conversation with students just a little while ago about how, uh, I, you know, I, I play music in my classroom. And so one of the things I asked yep. at the beginning is, which decade do you want to listen to? And somebody said a joke. They're like, oh, 30s, right? And then the question kind of came up. Do you think every generation thinks like, oh, that decade was horrible? I was like, yeah, of course we do. And the reason why we do is because of this wisdom fallacy that we have. We, we make mistakes as we grow up and we want to impart our wisdom onto the next generation. But we kind of realize that you know what? They don't always listen to what we say. They're going to make the same mistakes themselves. What do you think?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I actually, I don't think we all have to make the, the same mistakes. But, you know, it, We tend to do that. But uh, what, the reason I, must, I wrote my most recent book is I want to try and help Next Gens. And I know you've got 30 students there in the, in, in, the, in the live audience. I want to help these folks to not have to make the, all the mistakes I made. So hopefully
0: some of them will listen. I agree with you, man. I I try to embark my own wisdom. I'm I'm just hoping they don't step in the same holes I stepped in, right? All right, let's start with uh with, with a little bit of experience from you. Can you share with us like a specific instance, for example, where maybe your youthful arrogance led to like a major setback in your business or career? Yeah, I mean
1: that's I don't have to think very long and hard about that. Right after I graduated <laughs> from college, I went uh, To work for our family company and my my dad was the largest shareholder and the chairman of the board and my uncle was president of the company. And so I'm out of school. I'm the only one of 11 cousins who are in the family business. Everybody else is doing other things. And so my dad wanted me to become president. My uncle was going to retire in 10 years. So I put together a plan, went to my uncle and my dad and sat down and said, here are four or five options for how I can learn to become a capable leader in the future and 10-year time frame. And my uncle said, well, it would have to be a 20-year training program. You can't be ready in 10 years. And I said, well, I I actually think if I do these things, I think I can be ready in 10 years. And he said, no, you can't. And my dad piped up and said, of course he can be ready. And uh, I insisted that I could be ready in 10 years. And Mm -hmm. that began my uncle deciding that he was going to prove me wrong. And uh, 10 years later, he turfed me out of the company and said, I've been keeping a file and you're out of here. So I actually drew my sword in the first year of working in the family company uh, and said, I'll, I'll prove I can be ready. And uh, my arrogance and youthful overconfidence resulted in me. You know, Our family company now has, uh, you know, the family name is on a company called Bentall Green Oak, which predecessor mergers and everything. But there's 46 billion in assets under administration all over the, the world under the name Bentall Green Oak. That's my last name. The company was named after my grandpa. I forfeited anything to do with any of that because I said I could be ready in 10 years and my uncle said I had to wait 20. So mm-hmm. there's an example. like That
0: was a serious consequence. That's the that's the part of youth that we don't quite understand when we think we know everything and really we know nothing. We've just been like kind of scraping the surface. That's the, you know, it's one thing to be confident and another thing to be, to be arrogant. And I, I think it, uh, part of it comes off as arrogance when I think, in reality, you were really more confident, ready to take on a challenge, not really being like you know a know-it-all. And then you know, all of a sudden, these these emotions, these animosities, come in, and it's like you you drew, like you said, you drew your sword early, and then somebody with more experience was ready to fight back and was ready to play the long game. So, how did you reflect on that mistake, and then like, what steps did you take? to like move forward from this and learn from it so that you don't make the same mistake again? Well,
1: two, two things come to my mind. The first is after being dismissed and literally I was dismissed from the family company after being dismissed, my sisters and I had a chance to buy the flagship uh, construction business. So I became a successor in the same family in one of our businesses again. And so uh, we had our own president. He was at the time, not my uncle, but he, the president of the construction business was 63. He was going to retire in two years. I took a much more humble, much more uh, willing to listen and learn more, more of an apprenticeship approach. Right. I, I became an apprentice and and I was willing to listen and learn because I rec- recognized that uh, coming out uh, guns blazing had not worked. So that was a big change for me. And I think I would say I learned to listen uh, to uh, uh, to Mr. Myers, who was my. My mentor, second time around. But the other thing on, on reflection over the years, going back to my, let's call it my altercation with my uncle, uh, you know, he said I had to wait 20 years. As I've thought about it, you know, I've had 25 years to think about it. My uncle had had to wait 30 years to become president because my dad had been running the company. So he had to wait 30. I was only willing to wait 10. He said I should wait 20. As I've thought about it, what he was actually being really generous saying that i could be ready 10 years faster than him and what i realized is i completely lacked the empathy necessary to look at his perspective my uncle was struggling with having to wait 30 years and i lacked empathy so those are two things i've been learning one is to listen more the other is to develop more empathy
0: isn't it funny uh i wonder did you ever uh talk to your uncle after that and kind of you know Hash this out and and, and kind of tell him exactly what you just said. Like you were being actually generous with me and I didn't understand it at the time, but I know it now. Or did it kind of just have a fallout after that?
1: It, it fell off pretty badly, but I did go to see him three separate times. Uh, the first two times I went to see my uncle and to apologize, ask frankly to ask his forgiveness for, uh, I remember the letter that I wrote him. I said I had become an, an insubordinate iconoclast. Uh, in other words, for me, nothing was sacred. I was running around the company, a bit like Don Quixote tilting at windmills. And I you know, I, I went and apologized to my uncle and asked him to forgive me. And it, to be honest, my, my uncle's passed away now. To be, to be honest, it wasn't a, a wonderful, warm <laughs> kumbaya moment. He said, well, I'm not interested in having a relationship with you, but thanks for coming in. And, and, but then I went to see him about five years later and apologized again because I peeled the onion and realized yet even more ways I've been unhelpful. So I apologized twice. Uh, and then the third time I went to meet with my uncle, it's quite funny. One of my friends said, have you forgiven your uncle? I said, what do you mean? He said, I, I, I went to uh, ask him to forgive me. He said, no, no, have you forgiven him? He point, pointed me in the chest. He said, have you forgiven your uncle? Kind of torched your career. Have you forgiven him? And so I rehearsed that conversation. I thought, I'm going to go to see my uncle and say, I'm here to forgive you. You were a jerk and I thought that that, probably probably not a very good start so I went and met with my uncle of course I didn't ask him uh, I didn't tell him I was there to forgive him I just said if there's a hatchet that needs to be buried between us can we do that and so uh, he said sure sure we can but frankly that for me was a gesture of me letting go of my bitterness towards him and seeking so I've had three conversations with him around the topic of forgiveness forgiving him and apologizing and uh, sadly, it didn't didn't result in a, uh, a restoration relationship, but uh, at least I was able to do my part to be at peace with him.
0: Yeah, it's one of those live and learn type things, right? Uh, it, it, forgiving yourself is one of the hardest things to do, especially when you don't realize you actually needed to forgive yourself a little bit or to forgive yep. the other person a little both, bit. Both for sure. Right? Both for sure. So let's, let's take that into like, what you now see and observe in other leaders. What are some character flaws that you've observed that might lead to other people's downfalls? And now that you've experienced it, you can easily point them out. Well, so I'm on an airplane
1: flying home. I'd had two separate meetings with two separate families. I'm a family enterprise advisor. I work with families. So I had two family meetings and I'd prepared well. And both of these meetings, one in one city, one in another, both of them have been gone badly. What, what? So I'm kind of thinking, what happened here? And as I was flying home, I thought, well, the first meeting, one of the kids had dad and mom did something he was unhappy about that he'd never forgiven his dad. His dad had written him a letter for forgiveness, asking him to forgive him. And so I realized it is actually common. I'm not the only person out there who has unforgiveness. So that's actually a common thing. Our parents are not that my parents weren't perfect. We are perfect. We We need to forgive our parents because they weren't perfect. So I've I've found that that's a, in family enterprise, that's a very common thing. Kids cannot forgive their parents for not being purposeful. That was one. But the other one, back to my, you know, my 10-year idea wanting to be president, my uncle said 20. The other meeting I had been to with this other family, I noticed that the young man was 25, his dad was 50. His dad wanted to leave the company another 15 years till he was 65, and the young man wanted to take over now. Uh, So it it was a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a challenge there and th- this young man that blew the meeting apart because he was impatient and i think again back to my own experience a lack of patience in that that i had is very common so that's why i've written about these things that the lack of empathy which i mentioned and the lack of patience and the lack of forgiveness these are things that are really common for young men and women and family companies and I'll just say one little footnote you know we often talk to kids in the family business and they say so when are you going to take over that's actually a violent act right a, a, a takeover like that's you know in a government sense you know that's a coup right or in a business sense you know a, a you know a, a takeover a hostile takeover is usually the phrase right when we talk about taking over the business well how different it would be would it be if we say when are you do you think you'll be ready to serve the company? Oh, that's a completely different spin, right?
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's a totally different, and, and it, it sets it up differently, right? Because, like you said, when you were telling your story, you drew your sword early, and you know the words you use are the swords that you're that you're fighting with. And I think the the setup there and the intent there is a little bit different. The mindset gets gets changed a little bit. So how can Emerging leaders, these young, young people who are going into their family businesses, how can they prioritize some of these character developments, some of these things that they need to adjust? Maybe uh, what role can like, mentors play or role models play in helping develop these characters for these, for these emerging uh, leaders?
1: I, I'm so glad you asked what role mentors can play. So if you see the bookshelf in the back, I'm a keen reader and I'm a keen reader of biographies. And earlier in my career, I picked the wrong mentors. Winston Churchill, an amazing leader, but I wanted to be like him. You probably remember lots of things he said famously, but one of the things that perhaps most famous that he said was never, never, never give up. Well, that's a wonderful trait if you're going to war, but it's not very helpful if you're working with your uncle, right? I was never, never, never give up. It's got to be my way, right? That was not helpful. So I had the wrong mentor in because I was in—I I, wasn't in at war. I was—I created a war. I, and then the other thing, with Vince Lombardi. I, you know, I watched the the first Super Bowl when I was a ten-year-old kid, uh, and uh, you know, Vince Lombardi won the first two Super Bowls. The Super Bowl trophies named after him. He was one of my heroes, and you may know he said, "Winning is not the most important thing. It's the only thing." So that was my philosophy. I brought to the family company. Winning was the most important thing. So if you got to never, never give up, winning is the most important thing. You can imagine how toxic I was in the family business environment. So what I've written about in my most recent book is the importance of choosing mentors who can help you, virtual mentors. So what I want to encourage our listeners to think about is who are on your uh, virtual hall of fame list. So for example, on the forgiveness topic, you know, I, I would encourage people to get to know Nelson Mandela. He was put in prison for 27 years and he was willing to forgive those who put him in prison, right? Huge difference, right? And then you think about listening, you know, Gandhi, uh, you know, he said he wanted to get the the hate mail from those who were criticizing him because he said, my enemies are my best teachers. So we need to pick those kinds of mentors. So so I would encourage people to choose, choose their own personal hall of fame. Walt Disney's on my personal Hall of Fame list as are uh, Mandela, as are uh, Einstein and and Gandhi. So I would encourage our listeners to think about who are on your virtual Hall of Fame, because they can be your mentors and read them, get to get to know
0: these people some of those characteristics, I mean, they didn't sound bad. When you talk about Winston Churchill, when you talk about Lombardi, those are not necessarily bad traits. It's just where you're placing them in service that makes a difference. So how can things like humility or empathy or gratitude, maybe even patience as you discussed, how can those serve leaders in their business endeavors, especially when you're talking about family business endeavors?
1: Well, let's talk about, thank you for bringing up humility. Let's talk about that. So my, my virtual mentor regarding humility is Benjamin Franklin. Most people who are listening will know of Benjamin Franklin, but they probably won't know that in addition to being one of the founding fathers of the US, helping write the US Constitution, in addition to inventing electricity, he also invented bifocals. He started the, the uh, US post office. You know, this guy was <laughs> he was uber competent, right? And, and he had a little project that he was working on in order his own personal development program that he developed and one of the things he decided he wanted to do was to cultivate humility and that came about because one of his friends said you know uh, ben you're so full of yourself you got <laughs> you need to change and so benjamin franklin looked in the mirror and said okay i'm going to try and work on that and and i i was listening to his audiobook or his autobiography on an audiobook and i had to replay it three times to make sure i heard him say Benjamin Franklin said and I quote I decided to deny myself the privilege of ever disagreeing with anyone I decided Ooh, to that's good I decided to deny myself the privilege of ever disagreeing with anyone that requires humility so that's one of the things I've been working on because God graced me with a good brain I think I've got a good brain that means that I think I know what to, we should do so I'm if you have an idea I'm pretty I'm very willing to tell you why I think you're wrong Benjamin Franklin encouraged me to deny myself the privilege of doing that. So that's been a huge help for me in, in every conversation I have, if I, even if I disagree, to say, well, now, I, I, I think maybe there might be a different way of looking at that. Can we just explore it from another angle? You notice how that's different, right? That's different than saying, you're out of your mind. So there's a, there, taking him as a mentor has helped me to cultivate humility.
0: Well, let me ask you, um, and I think I I got this correct. You got nine essential leadership qualities that you focus on, right? Um, And I I know we don't have time to go into each and all of them, but if you can give me the nine uh, leadership qualities and how you identified how they can be developed and applied. Sure. Well,
1: so we've talked about many of them, right? Humility, uh, uh, we've talked about about empathy, we've talked about patience, we've talked about forgiveness. Uh, Some of the the others are, are critical thinking, uh, and contentment, uh, and uh, curiosity. So let's. So how did I identify the nine? Is actually quite funny. I just looked in the rearview mirror and said, "How did I screw up?" Here are the nine ways. Here are the. Here's what I lack. So that's where they came from. But uh, can how, how do we cultivate them? Uh, again, you know, Walt. Can I talk about Walt Disney as an as a model for me? Because. You know, oh, yeah. Walt Disney, you know, he's known as a, a, car- a cartoonist. He's known as an animator. He's known as a filmmaker, right? Known as the guy who created Walt Disney uh, World and Walt Disneyland, et cetera. But Walt Disney was a critical thinker. And, and the way I'd like to illustrate that, most of you've probably been to um, Disneyland and been to the Pirates of the Caribbean. When that was all ready to go, one of my favorite rides at Disneyland, uh, when when that was all finished already, they were about to open the, the theme park or that part of the theme park. He had all about 20 people of his, staff, his team, senior people, junior people all said, what do you think? Before we open this, we got everything. And they talked about, does it look right? And everybody felt it looked. Does it smell right? Does it feel right? Does it sound right? And everything seemed to check out. But Disney said something is something still missing. And he said, "What? What? I don't know what it is." And one of the young guys, actually he was a janitor, he he said, "Mr. Disney," he said, "Mr. Disney, I grew up in the South." And he said, "On a night like this, where the little cafes were," he said, "there should be lightning bugs." And so they actually imported live lightning bugs. I said, "Them flying, flying around before they could create the robotic lightning bugs." And what I learned from Walt Disney in that example is, you notice he was not critical of anybody. He was using critical thinking to ask, does it smell right? Does it feel right? Does it look right? And so what I'm trying to cultivate is the kind of critical thinking skills where we ask critical questions about the problems or challenges. We don't criticize others. What a huge change. So there's an example for me that I've been, been working on.
0: No, that's a great example. I mean, it literally shows how leaders embody some of these essential (laughs) qualities that are necessary in order to succeed. But what would like distinguish a leader from someone who is going to succeed and someone who's going to like lag behind? How how can emerging leaders ensure that they fall into the successful category versus the ones that are just going to kind of fall off? I mean, it's always great to see the examples of great leaders. What can they do to make sure they're following in those same footsteps?
1: Well, let's look at me as an example, right? I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I think, I, I think I've been given a pretty good brain. I, was, I took a business school education, including our university, and then uh, off to Harvard. So I've got, I had a good mind, good education, and then I worked in all the geographic regions our company operated. I worked in Calgary, and I worked in Toronto, and I worked in LA, and I worked in Vancouver. So I, I learned all about the business, and it all blew up in my face because I lacked emotional intelligence. And I think people are starting to realize that if you if you put it in one sentence, you can have all all that you need in terms of training and education and experience and intellect. But if you lack emotional intelligence, I think that's what causes people to to fall off. And so certainly that was what happened to me. I'm sure that there are there are leaders and I can think of I can think of several who have been successful without having emotional intelligence. But uh, but that's. I wouldn't recommend choosing that path. So I would say one of the ways to, let's call it insurance. One of the ways that you can help buy insurance for your professional career is to cultivate emotional intelligence. Because I blew
0: up my career by not having it. All right, let's let's kind of dive into that a little bit because I think everyone is familiar with IQ, right? IQ is always one of those things that that you get tested for. You're either smart or you're not smart. We think of Einstein when we think of IQ. But EQ, the emotional intelligence side, that one I don't think people really know how to measure or what it actually means. It sounds cool, and we kind of have a general idea. But what do you mean by developing that emotional intelligence?
1: Well, it, it's really about being self-awareness and being interpersonally savvy. That, that's David's definition. But all these traits we've talking about are all these traits we've been talking about contribute to emotional intelligence. If I am empathetic towards you, if I'm willing to listen to you, if I'm willing to be patient and humble and forgiving in my relationship, all of these components uh, require self-awareness and interpersonal savvy. And so that's what I'm wanting to encourage our listeners to think about, because if we cultivate emotional intelligence, we become more, like, uh, uh, to become, a, I was not aware that I lacked empathy. I was not aware that I lacked patience. I was not aware that I lacked humility. 25 years in hindsight, I realized, okay, I missed all those things. Right? So it begins with self-awareness and then beginning to to lead in, in relation to others rather than making it all about me, into, uh, savvy in relation to others.
0: Well, let me ask you, you know, becoming self-aware, I think, is probably one of the more difficult things to do. How can someone like be introspective and maybe after they have a setback like you had, what are, what are some things they can do or some tools they can use to kind of learn and grow from those things, especially in the emotional space? Uh, two
1: two things that come to mind immediately. Uh, the, the first is uh, my, my first book I wrote was called The Company You Keep and The Power of Friendships. I have two men who I Uh, You might laugh at this. I actually signed a friendship covenant with these guys 35 years ago. We agreed to be we agreed to be friends. Uh, And one of them is a lawyer. So he wrote out what our friendship meant. Uh, But frankly, the the goal there was he wanted to help me be a better parent, a better husband, uh, a better leader and vice versa. So one of the things we need to surround ourselves with people, uh, men and women who we can trust, who will hold up a mirror. These two men, Bob and Carson are their names. They have agreed to hold up a mirror to me in my life and let me see. So to develop self-awareness, we actually often need other people. So that's one thing. The other thing we need to do is we need to become immersed in learning about the traits I've talked about. You know, as I read about, let's go back to Benjamin Franklin, as I read about him denying himself the privilege of disagreeing with anybody, i was sort of going, "Oh, that's not me. I guess I'd like to be like this. So, it, so we can, we can actually develop self-awareness by looking in the mirror. We can develop self-awareness by looking at others and comparing ourselves. So those are the two,
0: those are the two main things. I like that. You have an attorney as a friend who's holding you accountable to you, right? Like literally calling you out when you make a mistake, when you're trying to hide from your mistake or using it as an excuse, they got that mirror right in front of you telling you, Hey, now, man.
1: And the and the other guy in our troika is a pastor, so I got I got it coming at the, both, both angles. I got, so the, the, it's
0: it's tough. There's nowhere I can hide with those boys. No, no, and it's good. You got a pack, so 35 years strong, right? That's what you yeah. said. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. All right. So, what advice would you give to someone who's struggling with their own character development? They're young. It's 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 kind of a problem at the beginning, uh, so that they can have. a a journey on their own leadership path that's uh, similar to yours without the hiccups (laughs) or as few of the hiccups as possible. Well, it's so
1: great. You know, uh, you mentioned the word mentoring earlier, you know, and we've talked about virtual mentors, but gosh, we're, what a huge difference it's made in my life is to go to other folks. And I talked about Mr. Myers, who was president of our construction business. If we can ask others for feedback. So if you, excuse me, if you are a leader and you want to avoid the mistakes David made. One of the things you can do is have friends around you or thing to read about great leaders and learn from them. But the other thing is ask for feedback. Mr. Myers, who was the president of our company before I became president, uh, 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 then promoted me to be president, and I had he became the chairman of the board. I had eleven vice presidents working for me. And twice a year, Mr. Myers would go and talk to all eleven of those vice presidents and say, what has David done wrong lately? And then he'd come to my office and he'd dump all the garbage on my desk and say, okay, here's the mess you've made in the last six months, we got to fix this. And you know, I actually think we need to ask for feedback, especially in family companies. Most people that I know work in a family company. Nobody gives the kids, you know, dad or mom's child, nobody gives feedback. So I think we need to seek feedback, ask people to tell us. And uh, Dick Myers was so gracious to me and said, David, you've screwed up here. You've screwed up there. you got to stop doing this. you got to stop doing that. And you know, just can I give you one bit, tiny, tiny example? He said, yeah. David, Dave, He said, "David, you're always in a hurry. And I thought, I thought, well, it's not a good thing. He said, no, it's not a good thing. And I said, well, what's your problem? And he said, well, your secretary, you'll often say to her or your assistant, you'll often say to her, please do I'll say please, but please do this. But you never tell her why. So she has no fulfillment in her role. You'd say, go take this box over there. But if she knew that that box was really important and why it was, she'd have meaning in her, in her day. And if the box didn't get there, she'd know why it was important. So she'd make sure it got there. So he helped me to realize that I need to slow down enough to explain to people why they're doing what I'm asking. There's a tiny, tiny example of Mr. Myers teaching me to not just tell people what I needed, but. Tell them why. We all need feedback. I wouldn't have known that. Right.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. But that's that's also goes down to giving giving people purpose, right? I mean, yeah, they go into a job to get the paycheck, but there's more to it. The reason why people stay in the careers for a long time is because they're being fulfilled by what's by what by their job. There's something bigger that they're contributing to that kind of helps them along the way. And if you're a leader who's showing them this is the overall picture, Here's the not only will they do the work better, I think they oftentimes will find it to be more efficient because they know why this thing is happening. Has that been your experience?
1: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I, I just want to pick up on this and double down on this mentoring thing. You know, I actually don't reckon a little secret. I'm just going to whisper. Don't tell anybody you want them to be your mentor. Just go ask them for advice. Because most people are being freaked out with you. Yeah, I want you to mentor me. Oh, I don't know how to mentor. I don't know how to do that. Most people I meet don't know how to mentor. But if you go to someone and say, hey, this is the problem I'm having. What would you recommend I do? People are always willing to help you solve problems. And if you go and then do what, they suggested and it works out then you go back to them and say hey remember last time we chatted you gave me this advice this is what happened now my current problem is this one can you help me with that and, and i know a guy who's been uh, mentored for 25 years by a billionaire without ever asking the guy to mentor him he just said can we have lunch here's my problem what would you recommend i do and he did it and then called him and thanked him and said here's what i've done and then what's here's my next problem Don't ask people to mentor you. Ask them for advice and then do what they
0: say. That is probably one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard because you're absolutely right. That's the struggle is you ask for somebody to do something specific. You put a label on it and they freak out because they don't know how to actually do that job. But everybody will give you their two cents, right? And it's just whose two cents you're taking that will make the biggest difference. David, man, it's flown by. Uh, we You've literally shared a lot of information. I, emotional intelligence is one of those categories that I think we need more and more of. And it, it's funny because on the one hand, you're like, you need to develop your emotional intelligence. On the other hand, it's also like, you need somebody to tell you when you're doing yeah. wrong and it might hurt your feelings a little bit, even yeah. though it's in the emotion category, they're completely different. And you kind of laid out the difference between the two. So I wanna thank you for doing that. Um, Before we head out, I want to make sure that I give you the floor here. Any final thoughts? And if people want to work with you, how can they get a hold of you?
1: Well, thank you very, very much. It's been fun. It did fly by. So my website's up there. People want to reach out to me. Uh, One thing that I'm very excited about is during COVID, we developed a a virtual coaching and mentoring program online for people who want to take it in three-month increments. They can choose to learn about humility, curiosity, and listening over a three-month period with virtual mentors and coaches. So if people are interested in doing that, I encourage them to reach out and just ask about emotional intelligence for successors. And we can share with people that I'd be delighted to help anybody who's listening, who would like to avoid the mistakes I've made. I'd be happy to share. So thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: Of course. Of course. I got a, a kind of a selfish question here. Um, literally what we do on this show is take a 30 minute segment, break it up into small pieces for social media. So my question for you is what was your experience like creating at least 30 pieces of content in a 30 minute episode with the business bros? It's been, it's been awesome. You know, uh, you, you, you bring high energy, which
1: drew got me excited. And so it's been, it's been fun. And uh, you helped me get right down. I I was surprised right at the very beginning. You got me right into the heart of it within the first 30 seconds. So it's fun. You got to the point and we covered a lot of stuff in 30 minutes. So thanks
0: for including me. Of course, of course. Again, ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurship comes with a lot of aspects. Sometimes you know what you're doing. Sometimes you're fortunate to have mentors in your family. And sometimes you're going to bump heads with the people that are closest to you. And you got to have and develop some of those emotional intelligence strategies to kind of work through the minutia and get yourself in a position to be successful ultimately. Because at the end of the day, oftentimes it's for your family and for your legacy. And I know you want to do good, but coming at it from different angles might give you different results and david literally laid out a good framework on how to help you navigate those complexities of family businesses so one more time his website scrolling across the bottom next step uh, advisor, right? It's nextstepadvisors.ca. Nextstepadvisors.ca. Make sure you guys contact David about all the stuff he has to offer and get your emotional intelligence in check because I promise you we can take you a long way. David, thank you very much for being on the program. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. And we're out. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast, but not just any podcast, podcast like a pro